Cradeline Network. This is the 25th episode of Big Meg One. My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Eli. This is the podcast where two Americans patrol their way to the Judge Dredd magazine. This episode, we're covering the magazine volume two, issues 15 and 16, cover dates November 14th and 28th, 1992. This episode, Judge Hershey investigates, Armitage heads to the Forbidden Castle, Mrs. Gunderson returns, and Dread deals with malfunctioning robo-judges. And if you want to read along with us, you find the comics we're covering today in Judge Dread the Complete Case Files 18, Anderson the Sci Files 2, The Complete Al's Baby, and the Judge Dread Magazine issues 289 and 290. All right, how you doing, Eli? I'm doing great. All right. Exciting law and order times in the far future. <laughs> we can get started with Story One Mechanismo. Script robot John Wagner, art robot Colin McNeil, letting robot Eddie Parkhouse. All right, Eli, here we go. We've seen the Justice Department in Mega City One rolling out mechanismos, robot judges. Dread is concerned, especially since last issue. Or last episode, we saw number six of ten of the bots uh, malfunction. The sixth one, smashing a perp's face into a wall before being remote shut down. Dread arrives on the scene of the bot to find a bunch of tourists and kids climbing on the robot judge and generally making a mockery of it. Oh, no. No sense of self-preservation from this family. No, listen, they're just, they saw an opportunity and they took it for photo ops. (laughs) Dread rips the perp free from the robot's grip and radios into the head of the mechanismo program, Judge Stitch. A bot has illegally injured a citizen, and Dread wants them off the street. You know, nat- um, naturally. And of course, Stitch disagrees, says it's just a teething problem with his robot judge uh, program. And so, whatever. Dread continues to prophesize a coming robot apocalypse while Stitch get a, when Stitch gets another report. Number three has gone haywire as well, basically taking a pedestrian plaza hostage to find a litterer. He's shooting at people, making them cower, cower in fear, demanding to know who littered. And the techs um, go for another remote shutdown. And this one off as well. Meanwhile, back with number six, Dread talks to a tech, and the tech has sort of done a quick look under the hood of the Mechanismo, and it seems like there's a flaw in their robot design. Basically, their behavioral circuits can overheat, which makes them then become incredibly aggressive. And we see that number 13 is not shutting down. Instead, it uses its high-tech sensors to zero in on the litter bug and grabs the guilty citizen, breaking his nose with robot fingers, giving the perp six years. Another citizen objects and gets shot and gets punched in the face, I should say, punched. The robot judge decides everyone here is a criminal and demands they all strip off for intense searching. Judge Stitch tries desperately to shut the robot down. But it's no good. It keeps just making people strip. Oh, no. At last, though, Stitch gets number three shut down. And the naked citizens are able to try to leave the plaza and regain their dignity. 
Dredd's informed about the malfunction while taking out a perp and says the refs of the Mechanismo should be off the streets. Back at Mechanismo HQ, um, not, number nine is coming in for servicing, as it seems number eight is incorrectly identifying citizens as a wanted criminal and blowing them away. It's killed two people and assaulted another and won't shut down as Mechanismo number three starts back up and demanding the naked citizens returns, deploying rocket bolos to detain them, Eli, rocket bolos. Uh, <laughs> It's bad times. It's rejecting Stitch's orders and guns down a woman when she won't stop and re-strip. Things are out of hand and Stitch orders all the mechanismos to shut down. Next time on Judge Dredd, high noon. Yeah. Uh, yeah, things are getting bad really fast. Uh, this is the same artist that uh, illustrated America, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, they do a really good job of, like, gore. Like... Uh, mm -hmm. You're talking about that guy who got punched, but you said shot originally, and I understand why. Yeah. It's because they really showed, like, if a metal fist hits you in the chin hard enough, you might, yeah, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's bloody. It's going to be a bad time, absolutely, right. yeah. Uh, yeah, really that's always what that. I say about, about this, about um, Colin McNeil, is that he's really good at drawing violence in a way that makes the violence feel, like, gross and disturbing instead of, like, fun or exciting, I mm. guess. Right. <laughs> Which is how I like my violence. Right. <laughs> I mean, listen, I'd be lying if I didn't say that I like some fun and exciting violence, you know? <laughs> but sometimes you got to be, you, 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 you got to keep it real and like, you know, reflect on what that violence means or whatever. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. I think it's really interesting, especially because, I don't know. So much of Judge Dredd, or when people talk about Judge Dredd, they talk about the judges sort of being these, like, absolute fascists and just, like, a, you know, enforcing the law really hard and stuff like that. So it's interesting to see Dredd objecting to these robot judges overreaching in a way he might even not for, like, if a regular judge was doing these same things, you know? Because, like, that's... Especially when just one mechanismo malfunctions, that Stitch's counter-argument. Like, what, like a judge has never <laughs> slammed a dude in the, in the into a wall too hard or something like that, you mm. know? Right. Mm. I do feel like HQ is... Get, they're being a little lenient. I don't know. Uh, same day, three malfunctions, I'd, like, yes. try to shut it down no, after now the second. Like, Yeah, no, no. His, his pro... Yeah, Everything he's saying made more sense when there was only one malfunctioning judge. When there's only one malfunctioning mechanismo, but once half of them are once half of them are malfunctioning, it's like, all right, like you yeah. know, call them back. Yeah, let's do a recall. Yeah, this is this is a little much. We gotta we gotta we, yeah exactly. We gotta do a recall and figure out what's going on with these things for sure. <laughs> but I guess talking about malfunctioning judges being jerks, Eli gotta think about it it's story two judge hershey script robot peter cornwall art robot yan shimini letting robot uh, gordon robson so we're continuing this death squad story as hershey arrives at the jamie sin block who i guess is the name of the archbishop of manila oh okay she's traced i don't know that's <laughs> it's it's just a cool name honestly um <laughs> She's traced a suspicious hover pod that was following her here. She enters the apartment of a sleeping man as a news report talks about the recent deaths in a, 
and abductions of several democracy activists. She starts to walk in when suddenly there's a massive explosion, as it seems the entire apartment was just a hologram, and she triggered it by stepping into the room, setting off some plastic explosives, which it seems are very rare in Mega City One. Hershey hears from Control, and it seems someone was jamming her signal when she went to when she was almost blown up. She orders um, Tech to check the bomb site, and then goes radio silent elsewhere. At Club Vim, a bunch of uh, NAS members, that's a political faction called Nihilist Anarchist Scum that we saw last time, they're all chanting uh, about chaos when a bunch of dudes in black uniforms show up and open fire on them. Reports come in that, um, in from that area around, um, reports come in, I'm sorry, that the area around Club Vim has been cordoned off by the SJS, that's the special judicial squad usually deal with um anti-judge crimes and we see hershey trying to get through the cordon um she gets she, she tries to do so by accusing them of a traffic violation and we see one of the reporters that we met last episode try to escape the club but but get caught by a bunch of sjs members who tells them that there are no death squads and when and then one of them orders the others to day stick the hell out of the reporter with a full page close up of his insane face as he does so. Like, oh, this isn't look good for this guy. Right. <laughs> Back at the reporter's office, that other report from last episode responds to his friend's death as a face on a hollow phone gives him details and tells him to check the dumpster at the artist commune near the Hunter S. Thompson block. Meanwhile, Hershey is at the Justice Department armory where she has a one-armed uh, tech judge check any sign-outs for Plastique, only to see that indeed a bunch of it, among other things, were signed out by the SJS last week. Hershey heads out with this info as she appears within the crosshairs of some kind of kill camera thing. Mm -hmm. Never good. Yeah, the camera thing, it kind of, actually, it kind of ends up looking like, um, like the toolbar from like an old, like, a drawing program or something, mm -hmm. I thought, Eli. That's actually funny, yeah. That's pretty accurate. <laughs> but I think this is actually supposed to um, remind us of um, during the first Gulf War, there were a bunch of pictures of these, like, bunker buster missiles that also had cameras on them. And so that was, like, the view screen that you'd see when those missiles were, like, flying into, you know, Iraqi fortifications or something like that. I guess these days it'd be more like, you know, the screen of a drone or something. But, you know. Right. Yeah. Sort of the 1992 version of it, basically. Yeah. It does look good, though. Yeah. <laughs> Hershey walks down the hallway as those crosshairs zero in on her. And then we see that one bearded SJS judge do the same, but instead shoots some kind of weird attack droid, warning Hershey that friends can turn on her. Whoa, the whole thing was one of those. He was doing one of those like things where they point the gun at you, but then shoot the guy that's behind you, actually. Right. And you're like, whoa, maybe I can trust this guy kind of thing. Right, right. <laughs> but if he set up the thing that's behind exactly them, right. then uh, yeah, wheels exactly. and wheels. <laughs> <laughs> she uh, she calls this judge uh, a lifus and says that she won't be. And uh, it's clear that she won't be intimidated by him. Next, we see Hershey storming into Chief Judge Magruder's office, demanding to know how many extrajudicial extra killings she's let the SJFS do. And Magruder stonewalls, demanding proof from Hershey, 
even as we see the judges destroying that proof, like, you know, be, be behind their back, basically. Right. <laughs> that night at the Hunter S. Thompson block, we see Psy uh, Judge Darling Astral Dreaming as Judge Elifus stands over her, about to kill her in her sleep. On her bike, Hershey checks on the side judge and sets a unit to check on Darling while heading to the Hunter S. Thompson mini-dump. It's a good place for dead bodies, apparently, and indeed, we see um, that reporter kneeling over the body of the, uh, of the one reporter kneeling over the body of the other from earlier, uh, from last um, issue, I guess. The body has one eye open, which is like the death mark of the nihilist anarchist scum group. Um, the reporter tries to explain what's going on when a spot, or I guess Hershey's there too, and they both talk about this. The reporter tries to explain what's going on when a spotlight overs both of them and a vehicle strafes them. Hershey returns fire and shoots down the flying vehicle and the figure that comes running out of it. The reporter identifies himself as Kane from the pro-democracy newsmagle news leak, <laughs> and he can prove the death squad links to SJS if Hershey keeps him alive. Hershey seems to agree as the man from the hover car crawls forth from the wreckage and threatens Hershey, but she just drops him again because Hershey's a badass. <laughs> uh, she calls into control to get meat wagons, texts, and sighs out for her out to her, and then she gets the news that Judge Darling has been murdered. Next time, showdown. And I like that both this and Judge Dredd actually had similar things. Dredd's next time was high noon and this one's next time is mm. showdown. Sort of that is funny. Similar yeah. themes here. Now, I always... Um, yeah, go ahead. It, it could be me just watching a lot of action movies lately, but um, how thick is the plot armor of Judge Dredd? Is it just like... Uh, it seems like, you know, death reigns supreme. Every people die and get blown up. There's so many ways to kill people. <laughs> but it's like... Um, Hershey, Dread, and like a lot of the you know main judges, they're the protagonists. Yeah. So they, I guess that's just the nature of writing, not particularly like a dig. I mean, at. yeah, it is. You know, it is a comic book, so they aren't. You know, if you're if you if you're big enough to have a comic that's named after you, <laughs> you're big enough to survive. You'll you'll survive. You right. know, and like Hershey, Hershey, like like the the big three of Dread, Hershey, and Anderson. You know. Right, yeah. Are, vi are very much like, yeah, listen, they're going to make it, you know? Mm. Like, don't, but but I will say. And they're badass. Like, yeah, and they're, and they're tough. So it's not like, you know, they, they, they get through because of their of their excellence. But I mean, like, I'll say Dread, for instance. You know, Dread has, ha Dread is, is surviving, but he's not surviving undamaged, you know? Right. He's, he, he's got robot eyes because his eyes were put out by zombies in the future, you know? He's got a robot <laughs> arm because his arm was blown off by... I forget who blew his... Ah, was, the so, was the Soviets once... He lost I, an arm. That's what's I important. I didn't realize all and that. He's got a, yeah, he's got a robot one. I mean, he takes a lot of licks. You know, I mean, remember during Judgment Day, he was kicking ass with like a, with like a, punct with like a collapsed lung and stuff right. like that, you know? Right. Also, um, was there, oh, sorry, oh, go ahead. I was saying, also, was there any, um, um, connection to Judge Hershey? Is she connected to the chocolate bar or is Hershey mean something else that I'm just not aware of? Um, I believe she is named after actress Barbara Hershey. Oh, okay. Who I'm gonna have to do some research. kind of, who looked like at least the original, like, 
a, a, a version of, of Judge Hershey, I believe. That's cool. I'll check that out. Okay. Because every time you said it, I'm like, oh, chocolate. And I was like, no, that can't be right. It is yeah. It is very similar, yes. But yeah, I believe, like, um, if you look up, um, yeah, the, the actress Barbara Hershey, who I guess must, she must have been, like, in her in her 20s when the character of Judge Hershey was created. Um and you know has like black hair and stuff like that. Like there's some elements of that of I believe that actress in in Hershey's design. I think, but no, not and like also I don't I don't even know if Hershey is a chocolate brand in England. If that's like one that people have heard of in England, remember that's mm. not the U.S. like references or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah. I'll also, I just want to say on, on, on the plot armor thing, the other thing is also that even if they survive and or even avoid like physical scars, there's psychic scars as well. Like mm-hmm. Anderson often has a hard time. She's definitely lost a lot of friends and stuff like that over the years and had just some real depressing stuff happen to her as well. Mm-hmm. So like even if you make it, you know, even if these characters do aren't going to be killed, they definitely, you know... <laughs> Sometimes the worst fate is surviving as well, you know, that old old chestnut or whatever. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't know, it's a whole thing. All right. But yeah, interested to see where this one's going to go. I do like this black and white art that uh Shimini's doing for this story. It seems appropriate for this thing of like back alley deals and corrupt um officials and stuff like that. Yeah, so let's take a break quickly with Covers, editorials, and dreadlines. It, um, issue 15, Conspiracy of Silence. Uh, Mark Wilkinson draws a Silence of the Lamb-inspired Judge Hershey here. A Silence of the Lambs, that a movie poster, with a Justice Department eagle covering Hershey's mouth instead of one of those death head moths like they had on the, on the poster of that film. <laughs> so obvious now that you point it out. Like, I knew I'd seen very, that somewhere, but I just couldn't place it. Yeah, I mean, it's continuing the tradition in these magazine covers of having ones that sort of ape popular posters and covers of the day, like that one, that Al's Baby one that was like to me more and stuff like that. Uh, the editorial mentions that there will be a bunch of Wilkinson covers coming soon. He'll do 11 for the magazine in total. And says a recent comic signing in London went great while teasing another in my fair city of Cambridge. The credit tech says, be afraid, be very afraid, because I guess it's we're we're just fit, like this. Uh, this issue would have come out on Halloween, as, as I understand it. Um, and it says, uh, um, yes, yes, yes. D- uh, dreadlines let the dreadlines letter page is pretty rough. Actually, there's a lot of um, wow. You guys have really improved over recent weeks <laughs> type letters <laughs> like you guys have pulled it out a little bit. Also, a lot of anti-Soul Sisters letters and opinions about Calhab justice that are extremely mixed. Some people really like it. Some people really hate it. <laughs> Issue 16. Like father, like son, Al's baby returns in this Carlos Escara cover showing Al, Al Jr. and Sal looking real cool. The editorial talks up Al's baby, but also has a call for open auditions to write Judge Dredd novels as they've recently signed a book deal with Virgin Publishers just to put out like some just not even comic novels, just like straight up word novels with uh, Virgin. Who does that? 
I guess they did in the 92, you know, and they will actually put out a whole line of these. Many will be written by current Meg editor Dave Bishop and Armitage writer Dave Stone. Um, I I don't know if any were written, like if any writers were picked up from this open call. If anybody knows, I'd love to hear it. They're all on Kindle these days. And so I guess I'm going to have to read these books and figure out a way to bring them to podcasting uh, uh, somehow, Eli. I don't know. (laughs) Like, I don't know if like like what show we would do like a book report episode (laughs) on, basically. (laughs) But we'll figure it out, I guess. We'll figure it out. The credit tech. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Whatever. Nothing's insurmountable. The credit text says Sweet 16. It's the 16th issue. Mid-issue, there's a map of Dreadworld post-Judgment Day, which I think is pretty interesting. Just all these different locations and stuff like that. Though, I can't stress enough, Eli, that this is a loose map and should not be taken seriously. Like, don't... (laughs) Don't play yourself by getting into a point where you're like, but this can't happen because this location right. isn't listed on the map or <laughs> it says this place was destroyed. Like you're, you can't, it's not, they aren't taking it seriously and you shouldn't right. either. Is what I'm basically yeah. saying. This is also, I feel for like it's fun, hard, you know. Yeah. It's hard, especially with like so many different writers and creators like to, I don't think they are, we're all referencing this map when they like, you know. Uh, people hop in their lawgiver and go that distance. They got there in this time based on the, like, is... Yeah. I mean, I'll say that, like, I mean, it is one of these things where, you know, back in the day when Judge Dredd was basically just being written by one person, it was a lot easier to keep that stuff straight. But yeah, I mean, we're in, especially with the magazine where we're just getting more and more stories written in the Judge Dredd setting by different writers and stuff like that. It is good to lay some of these things out, but... You know, all this lore stuff, all this like here are the locations in in the Dread World and things should be a way to add to your add to the setting to let your imagination go free as opposed to ways as opposed to being used to restrict the setting or rein in your imagination. You know, right? Yeah, I think it's funny. Like in my own work, I. Uh... Uh, when I'm doing scene changes, I try to be vague about how much time has passed between different scenes. So I'll be like about yeah. an hour or like several. Like I don't want to give hard numbers because I don't want people freaking remembering that and questioning it later. So yeah, I mean it does it it does become a really fun th- or a a, a a nerd thing, and I think a fun thing just to kind of think about it, but not to make it again like don't freak out <laughs> about it kind of thing with comics. Where they do like Marvel like uh, continuity projects, kind of figure out like where every comic takes place in comparison to every <laughs> other comic and stuff. Right. And I swear to God, there's at least one situation where a five issue like series of comics takes place between like two panels of some other comic, you know, like, <laughs> like, wow. like in between these two panels of the Avengers, there was like a five, a, a six month long um, <laughs> Captain America story or something. He just kind of like, all right, I'll be he like, he like walked out of the room and when he walked back in, it's after he like beat the Red Skull or something like that, you That's know, like in, his own, in his own comic, you know, right. That's or <laughs> I always remember the one. There's this comic Marvels, which is this really n- amazing, um, like sort of what it'd be like to be a regular person in the Marvel verse in the 1960s or something. 
by with art by uh, this by Alex Ross, who's this, this amazing painter. Um, and it basically says that like this one big, really cool Marvel moment of um, I think like. I think it was uh, Reed Richards and, and Susan Storm getting married or something. Some big some big superhero wedding took place the same day that, like, the Sentinels attacked the X-Men for the first time or something. Because <laughs> that's, that's so just fun. how the timeline had to be, you know. But that's anyway, so I'm sorry. This is a diversion. But, right. I don't know. <laughs> like, again, I, I like the timeline. Like, the nerd in me loves this timeline stuff. I'm like, well, when did it happen? Like, what, right. how officially does it work? Right. But, you know... <laughs> I'm just saying that you can be too it's also possible the the grown up in me now feels like also it's possibly too slavish to those kinds of uh, things you know right absolutely <laughs> anyway anyway I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say I like that this map does have the location of like aqua traz from swimming in blood and stuff and I was also really surprised that Ciudad Berenquia is where Buenos Aires is supposed to be in Argentina I always imagine as being more Central American, I guess, but whatever. Um, Dreadlines has more complaints and, uh, again, more relief with the improved quality of the magazine from issue 10 onwards. Jeez. Um, although I, I admit we were pretty sour about what was going on in the magazine in those early sections as well. That's <laughs> true. Very true. It looks like we're going to have another series of debate letters about whether using Irish stereotypes are cool, is cool or not. I've gotten in trouble for trying to have it both ways. So these days I try to avoid using accents and things if I can, if it's at all possible. Like, listen, like I understand your concerns. All right. Like, whatever. I'm, I try to be sensitive. But I guess speaking, uh, or on the other hand, speaking of, um, as opposed to Irish concerns, let's talk about British concerns with Story 3, Armitage. (laughs) Script robot Dave Stone, art robot Charlie Adlard, letting robot Annie Parkhouse. All right, Eli, here we go. Our old buddy, Senior Judge Warner, who's this blue-haired Britsit cop that sort of is... He's the he's the angry sergeant that yells at um, Cop on the Edge Armitage, basically. You know, he'll take his badge and gun someday, certainly. Um, but he's being hounded by the press for answers about the, Os- about the Oswald Mosley block murders. And he, he says no comment. But to his surprise, the reporter says the, that the names of the victims has been leaked. He's like, oh, my God. Meanwhile, though... Back beyond Britsit, Inspector Armitage and his partner Treasure Steel are shown through the fancy gardens of the Forbidden Citadel, home of the British monarchy after the big nuclear wars that turned England into Britsit. Steel looks through a hedge and sees, um, oh, and both detectives see some kind of big suborbital troop carrier, and then she judo throws a citadel guard that tries to push her around, snaps at Armitage for working her so hard, and just wants to get things done down here. (laughs) They meet with Parian Sloth, the Lord High Chamberlain, and get in a fancy hover uh, carriage to go meet... The monarch, I guess. Uh, we learn a little bit about um, how cut off the Citadel is from the outside world. And then they're brought to meet the king, his most august majesty, Delbert. And he's just an old dude in a frilly shirt, sitting in a throne, covered in wires and metallic stuff and things like that. He's clearly just sort of a corpse they're keeping alive. And they're like, uh, is there anybody else we can talk to? Please. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
in a dark room full of stray body parts. That weird metal angel guy we saw last episode talks about Sodom and other biblical towns. As on the TV, a news announcer reports the Justice Department uh, stonewalling. Back in the Forbidden Citadel... It seems the king, that, that meeting the king is just a formality. Really, you want to talk to the prince regent. The detectives are taken through his royal harem, who all seemingly have, like, the same or similar faces. Like, they're all kind of very similar-looking dark-haired women, I think. Right. It's a little different. weird. Yeah. And they find the prince, who's a nerdy young fop playing tennis. And in the end, it's like, I'm not going to talk to this guy either. Armitage just talks to the Chamberlain as the prince lightly harasses Steele. Armitage says they've linked the Citadel to the murders. And while the Chamberlain doesn't really care about that, he does care just that someone left the Citadel at all. People aren't supposed to leave. You know, I don't care about your murders, but I care that someone left to do those murders. And so he'll help Armitage find them. Apparently, it's hard to leave the Citadel if you live there, though um, the gold itself is, um, though just the fact, like, you know, they, they, they've been led to the Citadel because they found this coin that's only used there, but it's just sort of the coin of the realm inside the Citadel place, so having it isn't really that much of a lead once you've gotten to the Citadel. Because they're so far out in the middle of the Atlantic, they have to stay for the night, and Steele is getting ready for bed when there's a scratch at her door, and it's that dang prince in his night clothes with some flowers that he's clearly just ripped out of the garden, like, asking her out, basically. It's no good. Yeah, he's got to work on that. Mm, He's got to work on not being a weirdo. Next time on Armitage, (laughs) Forbidden Passion. No. Oh, my. (laughs) Gotta put a content yeah. warning on this next one. Indeed. Interesting stuff here. Like we're seeing these like I, I I really like just the world building of this Forbidden Citadel and stuff like that. And it and I and I do like this sort of um like it feels very British, this making fun of the um of like the royalty and things. Like they're all like inbred weirdos being kept alive by ridiculous advanced <laughs> science and stuff like that, you know. <laughs> It's a fun setup, I think, just to sort of yeah, yeah. have this and, stuff and be very over the top, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I also like that twist at the end. Just Prince is like, oh, hey, this works for all my other harem. I just come up here with like, you know. Yeah. No, he's roses. not. He's not socialized. and doesn't really know how to uh, how to act. And I do think that this is that we've also seen a couple things that I believe will turn out to be clues as well to sort of stuff about um this big murder at this party and stuff like that. It was sort of interesting, I think. I want to put my money on uh, someone in the harem. Ooh, evil harem lady. Yeah. Uh, It's the worst kind of harem lady, to be honest. And the only difference is she's going to have just different hair kind of than someone else. And then, you know. Oh, she's got a very, very, a very evil haircut, you think? That's my, yeah, that's my theory. (laughs) I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of what, of, of, of what a good evil haircut is, you know? well, Cruella Deville has a good one, but I think anytime where like you have those two Ooh, points two-tone. in your hair, like anytime you have like mm. little horns, then you're like, oh yeah, you're mm-hmm. obviously a devil. I think just spiky in general. I think like I'm, or I don't know. I'm thinking about the various haircuts of uh, what's her name and her henchman in Avatar: The Last Airbender. Say, oh uh, yeah, she, yeah. <laughs> whatever Zuko's sister and her girl gang all kind of had right. kind of pointy hair and stuff like right. that. It's true. Anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
go keep an eye out. I'm excited. I read ahead, so I know what happened, sadly. But, you know. <laughs> it's okay. I think it is another one of these fun murders or one of these Armitage m- mysteries where they do kind of, you know, it, they, they do do mystery stuff of just pointing, you know, showing you little clues and other things like that. But that leads us to story four, Tea with Mrs. Gunderson. Script robot John Wagner, art robot Dean Ornstrom, letting robot Ellie Deville. All right, Eli, here we go. Blast from the early, blast from the past, the early days of the magazine. At ISO Block Four, a woman is brought deep into the cells. ISO blocks are like the prisons where the ISO cubes that they put people in are are held. This meeting has taken over a year, and the techs are fascinated to see what makes her so special. Her, Mrs. Gunderson, Judge Death's old landlady! Dun-dun-dun. He stayed at her place and didn't kill her for weeks. Why? We see Gunderson led into this highly secured room and locked in, and then Death is released as a gas into that sealed room. They exchange pleasantries. But then Mrs. Gunderson levels with death. Basically, he owes her a month's rent. She's on a fixed income. And immortal manifestation of death or not, you got to pay the rent, Eli. Come on. Look at the rules. She's subletting. You know, she can't. And she killed the previous. And he, and he killed a, another tenant as well. Like, it's just, right. it's being a bad tenant, basically. <laughs> Death admits he's a bit short on funds at the moment, just being a gas, basically, but says he'll pay her if she helps him escape. A window opens and Death flows out, possessing Mrs. Gunderson. He demands to be released. He says, like, let me out or I'll kill the woman. And the judges are like, no, we're not going to do that. We don't care about Mrs. Gunderson. The only one who who cares about Mrs. Gunderson is you, Death. You aren't going to kill her. Get out of here. The techs are getting a ton of readings off of Miss Gunderson's brain, and in their combined brainscape, Death and an Alice in Wonderland-like child Miss Gunderson have a nice tea party. I like this, actually. Uh, (laughs) He still does need to escape, though, and... So in this mindscape, he grabs Mrs. young Miss Gunderson by her neck and seems to be out to kill her. But as he does so, she ekes out her what would be her final words. I forgive you. And death can't do it. <laughs> he goes screaming out of her mind. She is innocent. He returns to his holding cell and the techs are amazed at what they've learned and then go to petty cash to pay Mrs. Gunderson's back rent amount. <laughs> I think this is a fun story. Yeah, I thought it was great, too. Um, and I'm wondering, is it? There's always like, oh, we're doing it for its fun. But I'm like, is there actually like a code? Is it someone just trying to live their life and trying to forgive people as it goes? Is that... Is that his weakness? What happened I mean, to those people in his original dimension? Did he send them away? Like, I can't kill you guys. You guys are too nice. No, I think he. I think this is the the one person who's so good that even death can't kill her. So there might be <laughs> one surviving good person in death's universe as well. But it's clearly something that he hasn't had to grapple with in the past. I, I think you could could also uh, argue that it's um you know his time in isolation like. He's like, 
it's just such a refreshing thing to have this nice person that, you know, it is like a new development. Like he didn't have this mm. capability before, but he's he, this new timeline is changing him away from a sociopath. Right. Yeah. Maybe. He's learned how to uh, <laughs> make friends or something like that. Weird. Don't like it. <laughs> Get out of here. Be evil death. It's fine. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. But I thought this is just a fun, light little one issue, one issue, like a side here, you know, checking in on these characters and stuff. Mm, right. And, you know, when we discuss returning characters, we got to talk about Story 5, Al's Baby. Really excited to see this one. <laughs> Me too. Script robot John Wagner, art robot Carlos Escara, letting robot Tom Frame. So after a successful Judgment Day, it's time for the classic Al's Baby crew to reunite. It's 14 months later, and we aren't even trying to have this one be related to Mega City 1 in any way. There's no framing story or anything like the first Al's Baby. Instead, we're back at Vinny's Bar, where we learn that Little Al, son of mob hitman Al Bestardi, is a chip off the old block, a right terror of a toddler, throwing pudding on people's suits and just being an asshole, knocking folks out with the stench of his diapers, much to Al's delight. (laughs) The kid's first words were die scumbag and all his worst impulses are encouraged by his godfather, grandfather, and boss, Don Luigi Sarcoma. Finally, we get to Little Al's christening where he bites the priest's fingers and a bunch of the choir turns out to be rival gangsters. It's a hit! Don Luigi takes a few bullets to the chest and Al and his partner Sal come up shooting as Al's wife Velma protects the kid. The hitmen are taken out, though Velma does get shot in the leg or something, I think. Uh, Luigi survives the hit and from his hospital bed says the hitmen were sent by the five families from the United States based in Miami, Denver, Phoenix, Dallas, and Frisco. Luigi wants the head of the five families. He wants them dead. And then for Al and Sal to handle it. Oh, and why are you doing so? Take along Tony, the Don's nephew, and show him the ropes. He's just out of college, clearly a wuss, and being groomed to take over the family business until little Al comes of age. Al has been slighted. Oh, no. Sounds like the guy's not going to make it. I mean, definitely. You can't think Al has the best of intentions in mind. (laughs) Right. At the same time, Little Al has been expelled from nursery school and has been blackballed <laughs> by all the babysitters in Chi-Town. There's no choice. They'll have to take the kid along with them. Thus, all four men, or maybe three men and a baby, pile into, the, into their sedan and head off to Miami with murder in mind, both for the five families and maybe Tony, too. I mean, if we get the chance, whatever. Right. <laughs> Next time on Al's Baby... Blood on the water. Maybe blood on the water. Mm, I like that. Fire in the sky. (laughs) But with that deep purple lick, Eli, I gotta know. What were your top and bottom uh, stories of this here magazine? A lot of heavy hitters this time. I really enjoyed a lot of them. Uh, yeah, it's fun how fast it goes, actually. Just these four thrills, things r- go by pretty quickly, I think. Right. Um, huh, let me go through. I think I know my first, which is um, uh, Me- Mechanismo. 
Mm-hmm. I think uh, just the art style put it over the top for me. Um, mm-hmm. um, I it, it was tied with Al's Baby there for a long time, but and which is also done by one of my favorite artists. So it's <laughs> it was really just. Uh, uh, my enthusiasm for uh, um, the troubles of robot AI being used in the judgment system and this particular artist that just made Mechanismo come out a little bit on top. Yeah, um, with McNeil and, and, and Descara in these progs, it's a real the, – the magazine's real packed with talent right, right. now, I think. Like, yeah. this, like on issue 16 especially. Right. Um, but then I really liked – uh, that little story about, you know, Judge Death, that was also really heartwarming and by, you know, an art I like as well. So, uh, yeah, strangely wholesome. Absolutely. Right. And I think it, it wouldn't have worked if it didn't have, you know, the history of Judge Death. Uh, you know, I was so aware of, like, who Judge Death mm-hmm. is. Uh, but, yeah, the guy who, you know, destroyed, killed everyone in a dimension and then came here to kill and then, you know, killed more people than anyone else. And then, like, I just can't kill this nice old lady. It's just I can't do it. Uh, <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna just take that in my pocket and just keep it. You know, keep yeah. keep those warm thoughts. Uh, but it <laughs> it did uh, put Armitage at bottom though for me. Um, mm. uh, you know, of course, I'm expecting some more things to happen. You know, I know Armitage's type of writing. You know, the, how that story is gonna go. Um, yeah. Uh, they just haven't done anything yet that's been like, okay, clever. It's just been like, oh, people are idiots, uh, you know, trying to navigate through. Here's a couple clues sprinkled around. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it, so nothing against it. Usually my bottom, I, you know, have like some criticism, but this one's just uh, not enough happening yet. You know, I'm getting g- interesting sides of these characters, but the nat- natural, uh, the natural element of it being a mystery is that I want to Get, get to the mystery part i want to know more yeah yeah i mean and listen you know sometimes that just ends up happening where you just kind of have I, I call them like a like a process of elimination bottom thrills or something mm, like that right. you know it's <laughs> yes. sort of like that's pretty accurate yeah like i don't want to do it but you know in the end you know the the goal we've set ourselves here is that something's got to be the top and thus something has right. to be the bottom you know right I don't know why Conrad does this to us. You know, he's trying to separate because, us. Because, tear, yeah, listen, I want to I wanna know. You know, I, wa- <laughs> I want to deal in absolutes. I don't want none of this. Like, oh, yeah, these were okay. This one was okay and this one was fine. Like, right. no, I feel like we owe it to be absolute. And, you know, I know for me, when I say something's the top and something's the bottom, that's the absolute truth. And if anybody disagrees, then they can knuckle up. You know, right. whatever. Right. Let's fight. <laughs> Going preschool playground style with it. Like, yeah. That's right. And I, I can't stress enough, Eli, also that our opinions are the absolute truth. And so if you disagree with us, then you should just feel bad about it. You know, like you've been you have you have no taste if you disagree with us. <laughs> so how does it work with uh, your bottom, top and bottom? So maybe do we need to fight or like how's that? How's that work? Well, I mean, listen, every episode is a conflict. I can't stress it enough, Eli. Like verbal sparring at the very least. I come in here, I come in here with my game face on and, you know, whatever. I, I, I approach it as a gladiator approaches any other conflict. No, but not actually. Whatever. Um, Imagine writing also, your journal. Eli disagreed with me again. Eh? 
one day he'll get it. He'll get his. <laughs> That's right. Someday there will be an equal and an equal response all at once. Um, I really like Mechanismo as well, man. I love Colin McNeil's art, like you said. Um, you know, I love just the way he does violence. We talked about it a little bit, but just the way that he makes it feel like the way that these miss these malfunctioning uh, judge robots feel really scary and alien i think does a really good job and uh, like creates this problem of yeah just of these crazy robots you know running amok and stuff like that um i really liked it i thought it was really good and i really liked this this era of judge dread um I really liked Al's Baby, and I really liked the Miss Gunderson story, and those were both one-offs, so I don't really count those for top and bottom thrills all that much, although, of course, my standard's a little different with the magazine. Um, I liked Armitage a little bit more than you did, I think, um, just because I feel like like now I've got, because, again, I read ahead, so I kind of know what the result is. I can be a little bit more like, oh, yes, there's a clue, I see, because I'm sort of, you know, now working backwards from right. knowing what happened and seeing the clues that way, you know. I, um, I also feel like that's a realistic, that's a great way to approach mysteries, like, a lot of people are like, oh, I don't like spoilers. But studies show that, like, if you know what's coming, you actually build up more anticipation for it. I think uh, it, de- you know, I think it's what, like, I know definitely when there's something with a big twist or that's built around a mystery or something, I feel like it does, re- like, a lot of times those things are best watched twice, you know, right. once yeah. blind where you don't know what the twist is, mm-hmm. and then a second time knowing what it is to try to see if you can find like clues and other things mm-hmm. like that sort of to what the twist or the solution will be, you know? Right. Yep. Yep. Um, so, yeah. So, I like Armitage a little better. So, I'm, I think I'm going to put Judge Hershey in the bottom for me this time. Um, it just like, I don't know. I'm not a huge... I, you know, this is gonna get. This is gonna. This bodes poorly for the future. But I'm not a huge fan of judicial intrigue stories. I guess, mm. mm-hmm. like <laughs> where things are against, you know, corrupt or evil or whatever else members of the Justice Department. I suppose I like. I like when judges work together. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, that makes sense. But um. But but that's not so much why I'm down on this story. I guess maybe it's um like I don't know. It's just adding a lot to the SJS. I don't know if it was there before, and th- and it is a little confusing or hard to keep track of a little bit. Just some of the twists and turns of the plot and stuff like that. It's just not the best work going on in this thing versus Armitage or Dread, for instance, in this issue. So I would okay, say so this fair. isn't bad, but it does have enough to get it to the bottom of my of my choice of thrills this time or stories nice. this time mm. all right yeah i hope everybody enjoyed the show as always you can find big meg one on itunes stitch the google play store spotify or our podcast site at bigmeg1.com feel free to contact us at bigmeg1 at gmail.com and 2004 forums or on our facebook instagram and twitter pages for all those check out big meg one with one written out and you'll find us Feel free to drop us a rating or review where you listen or suggest us to someone looking for cool podcasts. This show is brought to you by Steve Green, Robert Hardingham, Zane Kipmiller, and your friends at the 2008 Forums. If you'd like to join them and help support the show, we'd appreciate it. Please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash That's our podcast network. There you can support the show and receive a ton of excellent rewards, including advanced episodes, coverage of modern 2080 in the magazine, and even monthly Q&As with, with uh, Fox from Space Spinner and myself. Then come back next time. 
as we'll reach the end of our coverage of 1992 with the climaxes of Mechanismo, Armitage, and Judge Hershey, get Christmassy with Cal Hab and Judge Dredd, and of course, Blood on the Bib continues without baby. And until then, I'm Conrad, there you lie, and we are Big Meg One. Drop it. Drop it.